0: This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Next Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering five conversations from episode 56, our discussion on nutrition and Nash with Ken Kusi and Shira Zelversagi in honor of U.S. Thanksgiving. This is a new topic for us, yes, even after 160 some episodes, a new topic. Enjoy. I start this conversation reflecting on my own experience with weight loss in my lifetime. Specifically, I comment on the importance of losing weight by eating foods you find tasty and filling. I also comment on the idea that every dieter has a bad day and that the key is simply to get back on track the next day as compared to either continuing to indulge nor starving yourself to average out. Those don't work over time. Shira agrees that relapse is part of the process and how she encourages patients simply to get back on track and learn from the experience. She also tells patients about her own passion for chocolate as proof that foods patients might not consider good for them can be part of a successful long-term plan. Ken Cousy notes that diet is simply one part of the full-life balancing act that we all foul up sometimes and that these foul-ups should not cause patients to feel negatively about themselves. Instead, view them as an opportunity to learn. And he notes he struggles with what he eats every day. Jorn Schottenberg picks up on Ken's comment on alcohol and smoking to describe food as somewhat more forgiving than those other habits. Shearer comments on the negative health consequences that drive patients to stop smoking, drinking alcohol, or maintaining healthy eating habits. And Louise Campbell discusses Robert Mitchell Thane's comment that diet is a war and notes the importance of having a dietitian on the team. As the conversation winds down, Ken agrees and comments that the U.S. insurance system makes it hard for patients to get the collateral support they need, a theme that will continue into the next conversation. Over two and a half years into the Nash Tsunami, we finally dedicated an episode to diet and nutrition. For more this episode has been worth the wait. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, digest. And when you're done, join the discussion in our LinkedIn discussion group. Of the things you said that made the most sense to me, the most important one is that I don't think people can keep weight off if they're not eating food they like. I've learned in my own experience, I am either an N of one because it's me or an N of four because it took me four tries to get this right. That the most important things were A, to eat food I enjoyed and B, to remind myself that everybody has bad days. And the question isn't, can you never have a bad day? That's generally not possible. But after you've had one bad day, simply to not let it affect what you do going forward, Neither say, I need to starve myself now to make up for it, nor to say, oh, now I've blown it. But just to stay on the path I'm on and understand that my body self-corrects over time. That's kind of how I've lived for the last probably 20 years that I've, I've had this more or less under control.
1: Shira Zelbersagi. I completely agree with you, Roger. In fact, I tell the patients, in terms of goal setting, by the way, I also tell them, it's not a question if you would have a relapse. It's obvious that at some point, you will have a relapse, and it's fine. It's it's part of the process so having a relapse doesn't mean that you failed that the process that you need to end it that you need to be disappointed from yourself it's part of the process no question you will have uh, this relapse the thing is not to look at it as a relapse but to think of it as a small bump on the road so there was a bump and then you just lift yourself up and continue exactly where you stopped no punishments no uh, low self-esteem how it happened to me and so on just lift yourself up and go back to the point where you had this bump on the road and continue with with the uh, process so this is Part of the expectations that we talk about with the patients at the beginning of the process, and yes, it's very, very challenging. I also tell them to learn from every bump on the road. You can learn something and maybe do better for next time. So always use every, every difficulty can be used for for learning.
2: Ken Kusi. Yeah, those are good points that Shira makes. I mean, again, uh, as a clinician, it's been said many times: it's a journey. For if I have a business-minded person, has like just like the market you know probably Apple and amazon are the greatest successful companies at least from an earnings perspective and they have ups and downs and and it's part of in terms of diet it's sort of at times of uh it's a, like human nature there's a person very famous now called Brene brown talks a lot about vulnerability we are prone to errors we're never exactly the ideal image that we want to have of ourselves we always fall a little bit short particularly we have so many multiple roles and things it's just difficult balance act and just remember we're going to live and die as an unfinished symphony. And following a diet is just the same thing. As I tell if you get most of your choices right, you're going to lose weight and probably you're going to be happy in life, but you don't aim for perfection because that's the recipe for unhappiness.
1: Completely agree. And that's why I tell patients that I'm crazy about chocolate, for example, and that I would never give up chocolate. So we are all imperfect and it's fine. You just need to find the right balance for you.
2: And again, wasting energy in blaming yourself for feeling guilty. We have a limited amount of energy when we wake that up every day. So, okay, be a little bit angry, okay. But as Shira said, learn from it. Uh, and again, if uh, chips is your weakness, just don't buy them. Or just put in your plate how much you're allowed to eat today and pure. So use little tricks thinking of what, what went wrong to avoid it, not to never happen again, but to minimize the times that it happens. You
1: know, Ken, the, the, the thing with food, bringing food at home is very interesting we always say don't bring enemies into your house, right?
2: Right, don't sleep with the enemies.
1: Yeah, so uh, well, so don't bring the, the chips and the chocolate and the ice cream. This is actually taken from psychology. This is uh, called stimulus control. Well, you want as alcoholic person to keep alcohol in the house and just uh, be strong and, and don't touch it, right? Or someone who tries to quit smoking wouldn't keep cigarettes in his house. So it's the same way with diet. You do stimulus control.
2: And it's, everybody's, I mean, every Day, I'm just always struggling. I'm always hungry. I would eat twice of what I eat. I'm, I, I mean, I, people see it at work. I eat very little lunch here for a number of reasons. When I, I don't buy a lot of delicious things that I see at the supermarket because I'm going to gain weight. And actually, I've been trying to lose some weight lately because whenever I begin gaining some weight, I rapidly do get some intense measures to not do more exercise or, or even more hungry to try to balance it out before it gets out of control. So it's everybody's fight. I mean, everybody everywhere that's above age 21 has to be careful with what they eat. You're in you mentioned alcohol and smoking. I think diet is always a little bit more forgiving. So the consequences are slower. You know, you can gain weight fast, but I think, you know, patients drinking alcohol, they decompensate. And I feel with diet, the biofeedback is not as rapid, maybe, but maybe I'm wrong. And it's part of everyday life. So it's it might be even tougher. You
1: can't quit eating, right? You can quit smoking and alcohol, but you don't, it's not a black and white, you can't quit eating. So that's why diet is, I think, far more uh, difficult to manage. In terms of damage with cigarettes and alcohol, it's also slow, long-term damage, but quitting may be easier because it might be a black and white issue and while well, we all have to keep eating. And just imagine that enough patients need to do diet and also can't have much uh, alcohol and also smoking is, is unhealthy for them. We need to remember that both very modest alcohol consumption is bad for, for patients, especially those with fibrosis, right? It increases the risk of fibrosis progression. It increases the risk of hepatocellular carcinoma and also smoking increases the risk of fibrosis and ACC. So our patients really ha- have to give up on, on, on many pleasures.
3: Louise Campbell. I think it brings us back or it brings us to the point that we deal with a, as hepatology and live a disease, we deal with areas that require huge amounts of intense psychological support and yet very few areas have access to a psychologist and a behavioural therapist. We get addictive therapies but all of these are addictions and they're part of life. We are human as we've said and we're not perfect but what we do need to do is look at more resources in the areas of hepatology for what we are now dealing with which are highly addictive diseases, socio-economic areas where you get worse advertising. Robert Mitchell Thane described it. it, It's a war. So can you have a dietician? We didn't have a dietician in hepatology at Imperial. We did at King's. So it is very hit and miss the levels of support that we're able to offer our patients. Yes, I'm mental health trained. I can offer a little bit more insight, but I'm not an addiction specialist, for example. So we try to make those little inroads and keep the motivation, rewarding the positive. But for every two steps forward, there might be a little step backwards. The whole thing that you've been talking about, we do need more investment to support these patients throughout and a, a better recognition of psychological and support that they, they need.
2: Yeah, I would I would encourage doctors to work closer with that dietitian and really highlight this, that just telling them to lose some weight and a couple of tips usually doesn't cut it. The problem in the United States, I'm very impressed that Cher has patients for 20 years here, dietitians, you know, are a couple of years, move on to somewhere else. Half the insurance don't pay for the dietitians. It's a very, and again, or live far away and, and lower income people don't have the means to go and, and just leave their job. So in the United States, it is really a struggle to deliver good care. And many times they're also busy and don't have the time to do it. I think it's the job of the clinicians to build these teams and work in a way that they can serve their patients better. And now, back to Roger.
0: We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with another breakthrough episode, this time with Veronica Miller from the Liver Forum, discussing some of the forum's exciting and important work. You'll want to hear it. Until then, stay safe, surf on. If you're in the U.S., have a happy Thanksgiving, and we'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.